Our scripture this morning is Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. Okay. I'm excited about this sermon series, uh, Putting the Psalms to Work. Uh, we, we came up with this sermon series. It's, it's, the idea is there are several different genres of, of biblical poetry contained in the book of Psalms and in other places. And what they do is they teach us how to interact with God in a myriad of ways. When, when you look at the book of Psalms in the Old Testament, it's, it's the hymnal of the people of Israel. It's the book of common prayer for the people of Israel. And in it, we're given this wealth, not just of language for prayer, but also guidance for how to pray. And so in this series, what we're going to do is we're going to focus on a different kind of psalm. We're going to talk about a thanksgiving psalm, a wisdom psalm, which is what we're going to talk about today, a psalm of lament, a psalm of anger, which are called imprecatory psalms or war psalms. Uh, Lyric Fesco is going to come and preach on one of those, <coughs> and a range of other things. And we're going to talk about what they teach us about when it comes to praying and grieving and rejoicing, and worshiping God. And so our goal then will be to learn, to have some practical application for how to put Scripture to work in practical ways in our prayer life. And so I'm looking forward to that, um, that, that exercise of, of walking through these. And I've already kind of committed myself, so I'll just tell you now um, what I've committed to. Lee Eric may do something different, but what I'm going to commit to for the sermons that I preach in this series is basically a three-point sermon. What kind of psalm is this? What does it say? So let's expound the psalm. And then how does it teach us to pray? So those are, that's going to be my structure for this series, and I'll start with it today. Um, so we're going to get into this one. This is a wisdom psalm. I want to do a little pop culture exercise. Uh, this is an audience participation. Congregate, sorry, audience is a bad word in church. This is a congregation participation exercise. So I'm going to list some names, and I want you to put your hand up. I'm not going to call on you. I just want you to put your hand up when you think you know what I'm talking about. I'm going to give you the name of four uh, actors, okay? And you've got to help me name the movie. Elizabeth Shue. You already think you know? All right. We've got a couple. We've got a couple who are... You don't have anything to apologize for. And I said I wouldn't call you out. So here, here we are. William Zabka. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, I've got a couple that know. Pat Morita. Ralph Macchio. 
Come on, there should be a lot of hands up now at this point. Karate Kid. I'm talking about the Karate Kid from the 1980s. Not the more recent one, but that one. I remember going, in my small town, we had this single screen theater called the Diana Theater. And every weekend, our, our town was kind of a, uh, a prototypical um, 1980s, imagine stranger things without strange things. And, you know, we have, we have a movie theater, we had a place called the Pizza Shack, a courthouse in the middle of downtown, a couple thousand people lived there, not a very big place at all, and you would cruise the strip up and down on Fridays and Saturday nights, and, and, and the, the date, if you ask somebody on a date, everybody understood that meant you were going to go to a movie and then to the Pizza Shack, that's just what people did there. And uh, I remember going to see The Karate Kid in the theater, and there's that moment, and you know the moment. It's the moment where Daniel's son realizes that he's been learning karate the whole time just by doing chores. And I was sitting there in the theater thinking, well, that's an amazing turn. I didn't even see that coming. I didn't realize that Mr. Miyagi was teaching him karate without him knowing that he was learning karate. I stand before you now as a man in his late 40s, and I say, that's not how it works. That's not how it works at all. It doesn't work like that at all. You can't teach somebody chores and them on the end of learning all the chores, no martial arts. Because you know what you have to do to learn martial arts? You have to study and practice martial arts. And I've just given you the sermon. That's the wisdom of this sermon, is that to walk in the way of the Lord is to study the way of the Lord. And there is no other way around it. And we are kidding ourselves if we think that there is. So let's get into it. Psalm 1 is a wisdom psalm. It's a psalm that's focused on wisdom specifically related to the fate of the righteous and the fate of the wicked. And it's also specifically focused on the importance or the centrality of the law of God. Wisdom is a genre of biblical literature, and you see it in a few places. You see it throughout the book of Psalms. It's also the book of Proverbs. You see it in Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, some of the book of Job (coughs) as well. And it's important for us to understand how the Bible uses the word wisdom when it comes to wisdom literature. Um, Because wisdom texts are not just the ways that we would think of like modern proverbial sayings. They're not just platitudes. They're not just catchy sayings. They're not life hacks, right? They are concrete messages about a relationship. And it's a relationship between our flourishing and happiness and cooperation with the law of God. That's what wisdom literature and scripture is about. Our flourishing, the relationship between our flourishing and the word of God. What is the relationship between those things? And so wisdom literature follows this this model of B tends to follow A almost all the time. This is how the world works. This is how God made it. This is the way. Walk in it. Ecclesiastes 
12:11 says it like this. The words of the wise are like goads, and you kick against them to your pain. In other words, God's word is meant to drive us in the right direction in life, and fighting against it leads us to pain. So that's what kind of psalm this is. It's a wisdom psalm about that. What does this psalm say? The main idea of this psalm, which it's important to note, this is the psalm that opens the book of Psalms. It's the first statement in the prayer and hymn book of the people of God. And it opens setting the tone for everything that is to follow. And what it says is those who follow the way of the Lord will be blessed. And those who reject the way of the Lord are going to end up with nothing in the end. Let's walk through it. Verses 1 to focus on the blessed person. What does the blessed person do? Well, he, he, he doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. He doesn't stand in the way of sinners. He doesn't sit <coughs> in the seat of scoffers. Instead, what he does is what? He delights in the word of God and its counsel on which he meditates day and night. See the relationship? The blessed man is one who spends time delighting in, meditating on the word of God and its counsel, and he does this regularly. Verse 3 then starts to focus on what becomes of a person who practices this habit of meditating on the word of God day and night. And what is the image? They grow. They flourish. They bear fruit. Why? I, I don't want us to miss this because there's a relationship here. It's not just that if you spend time praying and meditating, God will somehow magically make you flourish. It's more than that. It's part of God's design. He says he's like a tree that's planted where? Beside a stream of water, and he yields fruit in season, and his leaf doesn't wither. The reason that they bear fruit and flourish is because by meditating on the word of God day and night, they are drawing nourishment from the source of life. They are, to hearken back to the image, they're showing up at the dojo and they're working. I often hear people to say that they feel like God is distant, that their spiritual life is flat. And I get that way too sometimes. What can we do about that? Well, the first question we have to ask in light of the wisdom of this psalm is, are we doing anything to cultivate a healthy spiritual life? Because, see, God made us to flourish in relationship with him when we draw near to him. He made us this way. He made us to flourish most when our lives are close to him. In his word, learning how to pray, <coughs> which we do by praying, uh, getting to know him. And if those things are absent, if they're just not something that's happening in our lives in any way, shape, or form, why should we expect to feel close to God. I love the pragmatic wisdom of Scripture here. 
Because what the psalm is saying is it's like expecting to feel close to a friend that you never spend time with. What sense does that make? If the habit of prayer and scripture reading is part of our lives, then it does make sense that we would feel connected to God, that we would feel spiritually nourished, that we would be spiritually nourished. And some of us might be saying, wait a minute, this is starting to sound like legalism. No, it's not legalism. It's wisdom about how God designed life in this world to work. See, part of God's mercy and grace in our lives was to say, I'm not going to set you down in a world of chaos and disorder. I'm going to set you down in a world of order and beauty and accessibility to me. We get this in the Garden of Eden, right? When we look at how Adam spent his time before the fall, he did two things. He cultivated the garden, he worked, and he walked with God in the garden in the cool of the day. He spent time in intimate face-to-face relationship with the Lord. And when things fell apart, what was he doing? He was avoiding God. He was distancing himself. We were made to walk with God. We were made for this. And so to say, if you want to feel close to the Lord and you want to be flourishing spiritually, spend time in his presence, that's not like a magic trick. That's recognizing how God designed this to work when he made us in his image for relationship with him. That's wisdom. And then verses 4 and 6 turn to the outcome of the wicked. And and notice again, there's a relationship here. It's not just that God looks at the wicked and says, I'm so mad at you, I'm just going to burn you up. Instead, what he says is they become like dried up chaff. Ah, that makes sense. Why? Because they're not planted and growing beside the stream of living water. So they have no nourishment. They have no root. And as a result, they have no life. And so then they're blown all over the place because there's no internal structure there holding them. They have no roots in what nourishes the soul, which is the law and the love of God. If it is true that we were made for a relationship with our creator, and that our flourishing depends on being in that relationship with him, then it follows that if that relationship is absent, we won't have roots, which are how we draw health. And therefore, there will be no life there. Those who reject the law of God will not stand, the psalmist says, the coming judgment. They'll have no place in the kingdom of God. Now here is where we turn in gratitude to the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf. Because no one is righteous, none of us. And we all need to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ if we're to stand in the presence of God. But that is the message of the gospel, is that we have that. And the message of the gospel is that Christ has redeemed us by his blood and he has made favor with God possible But the wisdom of the psalm still stands. And that is, how are we to know that? How are we to know that our security rests in the righteousness of Christ and his mercy and grace in our lives? How are we to know that and how are we to trust that if we do not spend time meditating on his word where we learn that? 
wisdom. How are we to flourish in this life if we have no lifeline to truth? That's the wisdom of this psalm. So how can we use this psalm in prayer? For each sermon in this series, I'm going to try to end with two or three practical points of application for how to put these psalms to work in prayer. Today I have two. So how can we use this psalm in prayer? How can we put this, the wisdom of this wisdom psalm to work in our prayer lives? First, embrace the causal realities that God established. That's one. Embrace and thank God for the causal realities that God established. Embrace the truth that there is a relationship between our personal habits and our outlook on life. There's a relationship there. Sometimes when we're struggling, we want God to give us peace. We want to feel happy again. And so we ask God for this. Give me, give me peace. Restore joy to me. But we don't always acknowledge that there's a relationship between our habits and our peace, between our habits and our outlook or our disposition. Are we asking God for peace while daily doing things that work against our happiness? The psalm is saying that's not how God made the world to work. God works miracles, of course he does, and he can deliver us from oppression, he can deliver us from torment, he can deliver us from discouragement, <coughs> depression, despair. He can do that miraculously, and he does, but he also made this world to work in a certain way that would lead to our flourishing if we cooperate with it. And that's part of his care, too. That's what we have to understand. That's part of how God loves us, too. You can think of it as preemptive mercy. You know, I mean, it's like eat well and get some exercise and you will feel much better than if you only eat junk and never move, right? We understand that because we would say, well, there's reasons for that. God made the body to work a particular way, and so those, that's just part of the deal. That that causal truth about our physical health is as much from the kind hand of God as a miraculous healing is. That God would give us causal relationships and say, understand that this is my wisdom for how you're to live. That's as much of a kindness from God as if he were to miraculously deliver somebody from you know, a prevailing illness. And this logic applies to so many, other, so many other areas of life. God made things to work a certain way. Embrace those causal realities as part of his grace to you. So that's application number one. Look for and embrace the causal realities that God has established. Lean into those. The second application has to do with learning how to pray. And it is this. Learn to pray by praying. Learn to pray by praying. We get this from the passage where he says, the <coughs> blessed is the one 
whose delight is in the law of God, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted beside a stream of water that yields fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. The opening verses of this psalm call us into the simple habit of reading scripture and prayer, meditating on God's law day and night. That's what that means. And it means we're doing one of our church's key values when we list the things that as a church we want to be about. This is one of them, to be fully present with Jesus every single day. And the metaphor that this psalm uses for flourishing is if you do this, if you spend time regularly meditating on the word of God day and night, if, you, if this is part of the rhythm of your life, here's what you will be like. You will be like a plant that grows. You will grow like a plant. Well, how do plants grow? Slowly, right? Plants grow slowly, not overnight. But how do they grow? They grow by drawing consistent nourishment, cooperating with the environment in which they flourish. And so they grow slowly. And so it's this image of keep showing up to the dojo. Keep doing the work. Prayer, practicing prayer is like an art. It's something that you get better at over time. We don't learn it like Miyagi taught Danielson. We learn it by actually doing it. I do premarital counseling, and one of the things that I talk about with couples is I say that you, you learn to be married by being married. That's how you learn to be married. You can read about it. You can read about marriage in books. There are lots of great books that you can read about this, but you really don't learn <coughs> how to be a spouse until you are a spouse. Why? Well, because you're not just learning to be a spouse. You're learning to be a particular spouse to the person that you marry. And that is going to look, in some ways, like any other healthy marriage out there. But in other ways, it's going to look very specific. Because you're not just learning how to be a spouse, you're learning how to be their spouse. And there's no book learning for that. It gets really specific. It requires your whole self to not just understand what it means to be a husband or a wife but to be that to this particular person and all that they are and all the ways that God has made them. It's a relationally specific thing <coughs> and it requires your whole self to do it. Prayer is similar to that. You can read some great books on prayer. I recommend Tim Keller's book on prayer called Prayer. But the best way to learn to pray is to pray. The best way to learn to pray is to pray and to pray regularly. And you will start like somebody who picks up a guitar for the first time and you will say, I don't know what I'm doing. This is hard. I'm not sure if it even makes any sense. It doesn't sound good. But if you keep playing the guitar, guess what will happen? You'll learn how to play guitar. Because it's something that you learn. There's a skill to it. There's an art to it. Prayer is the same way. Pray and pray regularly. Does this sound strange? Does it sound too simplistic? It shouldn't. It shouldn't because this principle applies to so many other things in life that we just take for granted and we say, well, that makes perfect sense. For example, how do you learn to cook? 
you cook, right? You can read cookbooks, but you learn to cook by cooking. Incidentally, which that, what that means is that involves burning things, right? It involves understanding timing. It understands how one protein behaves differently under heat than another protein, how starches work. Like all of these things that you learn, you learn to cook by cooking. You learn to write by writing. You learn to swing a golf club by swinging a golf club. We learn to play piano by parking it in front of the keyboard and playing piano, right? Why should prayer be any different? Why should we expect to understand how to do it without doing it? And why should we be frustrated that we don't feel very good at it if we never do it? We would never say that about bricklaying or painting or math. So why would we think prayer is any different? That's the wisdom of this psalm. Don't turn everything in your relationship with God into something magic. But understand that the God that you're called to have a relationship with is a God of order and design who made the world to work a certain way, (coughs) who gave us, by his grace, his word, who calls us, by his grace, to talk to him. That's the wisdom of this psalm. There's a way to go about life that will make your life like a plant growing beside a stream full of nourishment. And the one key to human flourishing is not just praying, but is making it a habit, meditating on it day and night. But as it is with any craft, there is an art to it that we learn and we develop over time. Here's the great news about this psalm and the wisdom that it teaches us about God. The the big presumption, the big assumption that this psalm is making is that God wants a relationship with you. That is amazing. That the, the maker of the heavens and the earth, the one who knows what's happening in those pictures that we're seeing from the Webb telescope, the one who's like, yeah, I know all about that. You've not seen anything really yet. That God wants a relationship with you. He's not annoyed by you. He's not disinterested in you. He doesn't like your brother and sister or brother or sister more than you. And he wants you to know him as he is. Which is the only way to truly know yourself 
as you are, is to know who you are in relationship to him. And so what has he given you? He's given you his word. And what does this psalm say? Read that. (laughs) You're going to want to spend time there. Meditate on it. Pray. He wants you to know him as he is, which is the only way to truly know yourself. And so (coughs) he invites us to walk with him, which he's been doing since the creation of the first man, Adam, to walk with him, to be nourished by all that his hand hath provided, and to grow up in the truth. And what this psalm is saying to us, its wisdom is, this is the way. Walk in it. Let me pray. Father, I remember not too many years after seeing the Karate Kid becoming a new Christian and learning some early habits of praying and reading scripture and with them feeling the, <coughs> the, the challenge or the responsibility to make sure that it happened every single day. The youth group I was a part of, the friends there challenging each other to have our quiet times <laughs> every day and how I would feel shame if I missed a day. And Lord, part of what you're telling us in the wisdom of the psalm is that you're not keeping a record of how many days we show up and how many days we miss, but instead you're telling us the way to flourish is to make this a habit in our lives. Whether it's seven days a week or six or five, whether it's 10 times a week or 20, that you're telling us that if we want to flourish and we want to be happy, and we want to be at peace, the best way to do that is to walk in step with you and your word. And the only way we can do that is to spend time with you and your word. And so, Father, give us the capacity to embrace the beautiful simplicity of this wisdom, that it's something that we can begin anytime. A habit is something we do regularly. It doesn't have to be regimented. It just has to be regular. Lord, help us to live in the freedom of what you're calling us to and not to be saddled with with some sort of metric, but instead to understand that the wisdom you're telling us is the more time we spend with you in your word, meditating on it, the more truth we take in, the more spiritual nourishment we take in, the more wisdom we take in, which gives us then insight into how to combat folly. Would you give us the ability to assess honestly what streams we have planted ourselves beside. What are the sources that we're meditating on day and night? What are we taking in constantly into our hearts and our minds that are informing us about how to live? What unnecessary streams of anxiety? What unnecessary streams of um, uh, relational contempt for people? Uh, What unnecessary streams of Um, uh, falsehood and uh, self-glorification. Lord, help us to hold with an open hand 
the way we spend our hours and our days and to deal honestly with that before you. Thank you for the beauty of your word, the simplicity of it, the promises in it, and the truth that we will never have to earn a righteousness before you because you have given us the righteousness of your son. And may that be enough for us and may that be the reason why we want to spend time meditating on your word day and night, that we would be like a tree planted by streams of water, yielding fruit in season with leaves that do not wither and all we do prospers. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.